most likely the the use of the multi-tool will be kill a mountain lion yeah oh there we go that's it there's got to be a mountain lion protection attachment yeah that's the corkscrew to go in its eye <laughs> oh poor thing so <laughs> oh yeah why, it's people like you that's why the dec doesn't want to let us know that they're releasing mountain lions to control the deer population because there are lunatics in the woods with their multi-tools <laughs> chasing down those poor creatures. Damn straight. I got <laughs> And all of a sudden I'm like, ah, you ain't going to kill my family. Famous last words. <laughs> yep, exactly. Welcome to Inside the Line. Cat skills. Welcome everyone to episode seven of Inside the Line, the Catskills. I am your host, Stash. Tonight we have a great episode uh, with an interview with Sarah Bacon of Scenic Route Guiding. She's going to give us her experiences on being a guide and her guides throughout the Catskills and the Adirondacks. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I had to do different, a little bit different tonight because. I didn't want to keep Sarah on too long, so I didn't make her go through the uh, the intro and then the Catskill histories. I just wanted to interview her and get her awesome experience as being a guide. And then I just uh, I told her I'd record stuff later. So once again, thank you, Sarah, for cooperating, and we could get that interview in. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Um, which is Scenic Route Guiding has just become an official sponsor. So thank you so much to Sarah Bacon and, and your women who are the guides in the Catskills and Adirondacks uh, for being our first official sponsor. Um, I'd also like to thank Katrina Weirig for being a subscriber, a donating subscriber. Um, you can do all this on one of two websites. I have website on anchor just search inside the line the catskills and you can donate through there you know subscribe through there and then there's my other website which is itlcatskills.podcastpage.io and on the top it has donate to the show and buy us a coffee you can just put in whatever uh, amount you want or how many coffees you want and you can donate to the show and we'll give you a shout out every beginning of the show so once again, thank you to Katrina Weirig and Scenic Route Guiding uh, for being our sponsors. Don't really have that much Catskill news other than it's getting beyond peak season. So if you're going to go out there and hike, do it ASAP because the leaves are falling off. Just went on a hike last night, actually from this recording, uh, a sunset hike with my wife, and it was absolutely stunning. I uh, was blown away. We went up to Bird Knob. And we just watched a little bit of the sunset. Uh, we couldn't see the full sunset because of the location, but we still watched the sun beaming down on, on Acropoint and, and places like that and just looked at the blackheads and were blown away by the stunning beauty of, of fall and the smell of fall. I don't know if you anybody else is like me, but that smell of the leaves is absolutely amazing. So, yeah. Another recent hike I, I went on was I did Overlook Mountain, a little while ago for my friend's final his final fire tower finish so congratulations to alex on completing your fire tower challenge i'd like to thank the volunteers for a great spring summer and fall it's winding down to an end and uh it was a big impact 
on anywhere and everywhere in the United States, especially the Catskills. So thank you, volunteers, for dedicating your time, your free time, and helping out the Catskills. So uh, let's get on to a little Catskills history, eh? So this uh, Catskill history segment is about the anti-rent war. If you haven't heard about this, drive through the Western Catskills through Andes, and you will see signs going through Andes that says home of the anti-rent war. And I will explain that tonight as, as much as I can. I got most of my information online and through a couple books uh, and just threw it together. So let's get on. Uh, so the anti-rent war, also known as the Helderberg War, was a tenants' revolt in upstate New York in the period of 1839 through 1845. The anti-renters declared their independence from the manor system run by patrons, resisting tax collectors and successfully demanding land reform. The incident began with the death of Stephen Van Rensselaer III in 1839. Van Rensselaer, who was described as having proved a lenient and benevolent landowner, was a patron of the region at the time and was a descendant of Killian Van Rensselaer, the first patron of the manor of Rensselaer of Rensselaer Wick. My God, what a handful that last name is. Rensselaer's Wick. There you go. Rensselaer's Wick. During his life, he preferred to allow rents to accumulate or accept partial payment with tenants when tenants were in financial constraints. However, his leases also included a core sale provision, which required tenants who sold their leases to pay Van Rensselaer one-fourth of the sale price or one additional year's rent. The patrons owned all the land on which the tenants in the Hudson Valley lived and used this feudal lease system to maintain control of the region. When he died, Van Rensselaer's will directed his heirs to collect outstanding rents and quarter sale payments to apply the estate's debts. When the heirs attempted to collect, tenants could not pay the amounts demanded, could not secure a favorable payment schedule from their heirs, and could not obtain relief from the courts, so they revolted. Now, one thing I remember reading was people uh, that lived in the Hudson Valley, the richer people, the wealthier people, would come up to the small areas and claim that they own this land, and that's how they would make their, their rent and their money and their leases. Uh, they never really owned the land, but they would claim they owned the land, and because they're rich and powerful, the more the, the poor had to, to hear them, the farmers had to listen to them and believe them, and also the people of law believe them as well so that was something i heard i believe through a book so hopefully that's true um the first mass meeting of attendant farmers leading to the anti-rent war was held in the top of helderberg mountains in Bern, which is closer to the schenectady on july 4th 1839 they issued a declaration of independence promising we will take the, up the ball of the revolution where our fathers stopped it and roll it to the final consummation of freedom and independence of the masses in December 1839, the anti-renters repulsed a 500-man posse led by Albany County Sheriff Michael Archer and including William Marcy and John Van Buren. Governor William Seward threatened the rebels with 700 militiamen and obtained their surrender. However, the insurrection continued to smolder. Disguised as Calico Indians, the renters resisted attacks and collection and in law enforcement, sometimes tarring and feathering their enemies. Now, the Calico Indians, picture this, a bunch of white people, white dudes, dressed up as Indian clothes, but I heard also some of them had uh, skulls on their heads, 
and uh, blood on their heads and feathers everywhere, basically dressed as animals and were very, very scary. Basically, it was a Halloween costume, but they were very scary. They threatened, like they said, they sometimes tarred and feathered their enemies, which it's got to be really annoying getting that tar off. My God. But I... If you check it out online, I believe there's pictures. There's definitely pictures I saw in one of my books that I read of uh, a meeting of, of Calico Indians. There was like eight of them in this. And it, they looked, I got to admit, they come at night, they look pretty scary. So uh, check that out online, Calico Indians of the Andes. Uh, in January 1845, 150 delegates from 11 counties assembled at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bern to call for a political action to redress their grievances. The Anti-Rent War led to the creation of the Anti-Renter Party, which had strong influence on New York state politics from 1846 to 1851. Newly elected Governor Silius Wright moved in, in 1845 to stamp out the Calico Indians and push for a law which outlawed disguises. Trials of the leaders revolted. Charged with riot, conspiracy, and robbery were held in 1845. Attorneys included Ambrose L. Jordan as leading counsel for the defense and John Van Buren, the state attorney general, who personally conducted the prosecution. At first trial, the jury came to no conclusion and Parker demanded mistrial. During a retrial in September 1845, the two attorneys started a fistfight in open court. Both were sentenced by the presiding judge, John W. Edmonds, to solitary confinement in county jail for 24 hours. At the conclusion of the trial, one defendant, Smith A. Boughton, sorry Jim, that's a different Boughton, B-O-U-G-H-T-O-N, was sentenced to life imprisonment. I don't even think Jim Boughton listens to this or knows what a podcast is, so whatever. After the election of John Young as governor to the support of the anti-renters, he pardoned Boughton. John Van Steenberg and Edward O'Connor were sentenced to death by hanging for their involvement in the shooting of Undersheriff Osmond Steele in an incident that took place in Moses Earl's farm in Andes, New York, during the sheriff's sale after Earl was unable to pay his rent. Earl and two others were sentenced to life in prison. Several others received lesser prison sentences. Governor Young later commuted the death sentences to life in prison. The New York Constitution of 1846 added provisions for tenants' rights, abolishing feudal tenures and outlawing leases lasting longer than 12 years. The remaining manors dissolve quickly as the patron solds off the lands. One thing to add about the death of Osmond Steele was that uh, I remember in a book once again reading that the reason or the, the leading to his death was Steele was in a, uh, a storefront or was having breakfast and something and someone said something to him about the anti-rent war and he said, well, Bullets can't penetrate steel, or something like that. Something can't penetrate steel. I remember reading about him coming to someone's house, and the person pulled out a gun, which he thought was not loaded, and he accidentally shot him, and that's how he died. Could be wrong. I, I should have wrote that down, but I didn't. So, But check it out, Anti-Rent War, uh, in Andes and in upstate New York in the Catskills. Very cool stuff, and uh, hope you enjoyed now on to our first segment with Sarah Bacon and Cedar Grove Guiding. All right, so we are live uh, inside the line of Catskills. My name is Stosh. I am here with my Facebook friend, Sarah Bacon, who runs and owns Scenic Route Guiding. Uh, say hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you tonight? 
I'm very, very good. I'm excited about this. Uh, I've, I've looked at and watched all your stories on, on Facebook, and uh, I was very, very excited to, to get this going. And uh, I can't wait to hear some of your stories. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Any anytime. So yeah, so recently you you got on a little interview with Adirondack Mountain News, correct? Yes. Yep. John Bulmer um, is a Facebook friend of mine. And, you know, he chatted a little bit here and there and he reached out and asked if he could ask me some questions and do a little feature on us in his publication, their publication. And uh, yeah, I was really excited that he did that for us. It turned out really nice. I think I, he did a good job. Yeah, I read it and I thought it was was incredible and it uh it brought a lot of like details out about scenic route guiding. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm I'm excited so uh I mean we're going to talk about uh scenic route guiding. You're going to we're going to talk about some of your hikes and we're going to talk about uh the biggest thing of all and that is mountain lions. My favorite. I can't wait. I can I you know what? Actually, I was thinking about this. I know we're going to talk about it at the end, but I just want to say this is a show. You need to do that as a show. So today, I think we're just going to get a little provocative with their appetites, get a little buzz going, and then you go ahead and you plan the big one and you get two experts on opposing sides to just duke it out on your show because the conspiracy, the controversy, it's going to be huge. It is going to be huge. And you know what? Uh, I've seen at least 50 mountain lions in my backyard. So. Yeah, they're they're everywhere. They're in fire towers everywhere. Yeah, yeah, but I've never gotten a video or a uh, you know a picture of them. They're just nope. floating back there. No trail cam footage. Actually, you're going to be disappointed in me, but we'll save that to the end. You might be a little disappointed, but rock on. We'll, we'll save the best for last. <laughs> I'm definitely excited. So mountain lions and hiking. What else could you want? We're just going to get so silly tonight. I can already tell. <laughs> exactly. We need to hike sometime. Yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, let, let's start it off. Uh, what is Scenic Route Guiding? Well, um, so Scenic Route Guiding, we're a four-person team um, with one alternate guide. My uh, primary guides are Chelsea Walker, Amanda Riggs, Katie Rhodes, and of course myself. Um, and then my friend Sean Iannucci from Blue Line Outdoor Adventures is an alternate guide for us, mostly, you know, the Southern New York area, but he comes up to the Adirondacks for us too when the other, the rest of us are are busy. You know, we do, we try to do a lot of different things. We, of course, you know, do normal guided hikes, but we've recently gotten into the skills classes a little bit more. So that's been a lot of fun. And we're just out there hitting the cat skills and the Adirondacks and the surrounding areas in New York. Excellent. The best parts of uh, New York state, some places, some, some people don't even know that the New York state consider has mountains. It's crazy. I, well, I grew up in the flatlands um, near Watertown, New York, and, you know, most of my life was spent outdoors, but we don't have any elevation out that way. So when I moved, you know, to the Saratoga area in the 90s and started actually hiking mountains, my legs weren't quite sure what to do with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, now, Watertown is up northwest, right, towards the one of the Great Lakes? Yeah, it is. It's um, a little bit north of Lake Ontario, where I grew up. Um, I, I lived in Lafargeville, so that's even more north of Watertown, right on the St. Lawrence River. Like I said, the flatlands, you can see sky for miles. Excellent. This is a lot of uh, hockey up there, correct? Oh, yeah. Big hockey. Big hockey area. We love our hockey. I'm a big hockey fan, so. Nice. 
All right. So um, what made you want to be a guide? What what gave you the inspiration to be a guide? Um, I think ultimately it was just combining two passions that I have. I'm a teacher. So combining the outdoors with education was really appealing to me. I think I said earlier already, I spent a lot of time outside. So nature has always been a huge part of my life. I'd like to spend more time outside than inside. Um, you know, my mom was huge on getting us out into the woods, me and my friends. We didn't spend a lot of time indoors in front of video games or anything like that. So, uh, you know, just kind of naturally, I started hiking with my kids when they were younger. And of course, when you've got little ones, you can't hike as often as you like. But um, once they got old enough to kind of entertain themselves, my son liked to hike a lot with me, my daughter, not so much. We started doing some of the bigger hikes with a little more elevation. And um, it just kind of happened naturally that I was out there all the time hiking. And a friend of mine, Sean, actually had gotten his guiding license. And he was like, yeah, you should, you should get your license. You know, you're a teacher. You're, you're out there all the time. You've got the experience. Give it a try. And uh, I kind of thought in the beginning I would just do it in the summer, kind of as a side job, you know, guide here and there. But it really took off, which was exciting. And it's every year it grows a little bit bigger. So it's been a lot of fun. It's it's not quite what I expected it would be. It grew into something a lot bigger than I thought. And and that's actually been kind of exciting. Definitely. I can see that, um, you know, when I got the first invitation from Facebook that, you know, it was, it was a small thing. And now, now I'm looking at it and you are out there every weekend Yeah, and uh, just like, sorry to say, but kicking ass. I, I, I love you. it. Thank you. I do feel like we're kicking ass and it, it's been exciting to add, um, you know, Chelsea and Amanda and Katie, cause that, that happened pretty naturally too. It, it got to the point where it's hard to tell people no, because people have hiking goals, you know, and they want to finish their 46 before winter, or they want to finish their winter cat skills. And it's so hard to tell a person that you don't have availability. And last year, my very good friends, Amanda and Chelsea were talking about becoming guides. And I said, yeah, you really should. I mean, those girls have so much experience in the woods, uh, you know, miles and miles of, of hiking out there. And, uh, they were sure we'd love that. So they kind of came on and that was awesome. And then they wound up becoming booked to the point where, you know, I was still turning people away and my friend Katie Rhodes and I started chatting and, um, you know, she reached out to me because she had a former client who needed her help. And she asked if she could guide under my business name. And we just started to talk and Sure enough, she was willing and available to guide with us. And now it's the four of us out there. So it's it's kind of neat how things have worked out. I I could talk all day about these girls, but they are three of the strongest women I know. And it's just it's been a huge rush for me to have them want to be a part of the scenic route and and work with me. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of them and they're just good, good people. That's awesome. And that's that's great to hear, you know. Um I mean, one of the questions later will be about uh, you being a woman and what challenge you'll face. But saying that and having four women being guides together is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's it's for me, it's it's nice when women can come together and work together and support each other like that. I have always felt like when women get together and back each other up, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And uh, 
it's just, a, it's been a really neat couple of years working with them and just getting out there together. And, and actually my favorite thing I want to say, my favorite thing is when my clients will message me about the experience they had with one of my guides. And that just makes me feel so proud. And I love sharing it with them. I don't know. I feel like trail mom, proud trail mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, it's a compliment. What what else can you do but smile and uh, think like good thoughts that, yeah. you know, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, it's great. It's nice to see people kind of accomplish their goals and and feel comfortable knowing I'm sending my clients out with those girls and that they're going to take good care of them. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, I mean, where, where do you guide? I, I know it's Catskills Adirondacks, correct? Yeah, we'll guide anywhere. Um, you know, it, it works out well for me. I'm halfway between the Catskills and the Adirondacks. And I live, like I said, in the Saratoga region. So there's a lot of nice hiking out here too. Um, it, it works out well where I'm located. I'm kind of perfectly situated. And then Katie kind of lives nearby this area too. So um, Katie and Chelsea and Amanda will do a lot in the Adirondacks. Catskills are a little far for them. But uh, I know Amanda, she, she, Amanda will hike everywhere and everything so she's gone out to the Catskills a couple times for me even even though it's a crazy long distance for her to drive she's a crazy girl so she's happy to get out there too (laughs) and you know what she loves the Catskills as much as I do she she talks about the lasagna rocks out there and I love that I love that she calls them you can picture exactly what I'm talking about when I say lasagna rocks you mean like the uh, the pancake rocks and stuff like that? Yeah, and it cracks me up when she calls. She'll she'll send me a picture out there. Oh, lasagna rocks! It's like her favorite. Nice. That <laughs> that's a good that's a good that's a good term actually. Yeah, that's pretty funny. It did. It made me laugh. I thought it was cute. And pasta. Who doesn't love pasta? You can't go wrong with lasagna. Come on. Oh, I'm part Italian, so uh, pasta is like mine. Yeah. Perfect. My second favorite. Yeah. So excellent. So Catskills and and Adirondacks. I see. Um, of course. It's going to be more in the Adirondacks because they're more challenging, correct? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people ask me the difference between the Adirondacks and the Catskills. And I get a little defensive of my Catskills when people will talk about how easy they are. And I know what they're saying. The The terrain in the Adirondacks is far less forgiving. It's rugged. It's really rugged. But I wouldn't consider the Catskills to be easy. I think there are a lot of really great beginner hikes out there for people who are a little less experienced, who maybe want to work their way up to that rugged terrain of the Adirondacks. But the Catskills, man, they can, they can, there are some pretty tough hikes out there. And uh, I think that what I like about the Catskills so much is you can make the hike as difficult or as easy as you want. That's correct. You really can cater any hike to what you're looking for out there. But yeah, I do tend to, we do tend to have a lot of people ask us for help out in the Adirondacks, especially in the winter, you know, because it's safety in numbers. Yeah. Yeah. But I, we do get called to the um, Catskills quite often too. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, I've never, I've never, to be honest, I've never done an Adirondack 46. Oh, I got to get you out there. Yeah. Um, the drive is, the drive is a little insane. It's like a three and a half, four hour drive. That's a lot. And, you know, the parking situation, too. You've got to get out to that parking lot so early. Yeah, that's correct. So that makes it even tougher. Yeah, that's a time commitment. But when you're ready, yeah. when you're ready, let me know. Damn straight. We'll go, we'll go look for mountain lions. 
Oh, I, I guarantee we'll find at least three dozen. I'm sure they're everywhere. <laughs> so another thing is, you know, um, a lot of people underestimate the Catskills. I agree. They'll be like, they'll see a picture of, uh, you know, the view on Wittenberg and they'll be like, oh, it's, that's a, that's an easy hike. But once they get up to that steep part, it's it's very unforgiving. There's been two rescues up there so far this year, two helicopter rescues. I, I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I've actually been following the reports and I know you're on the search and rescue team. So I see a lot of them through you. Um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think people have a false assumption that the Catskills are easy. And there are definitely spots in the Catskills that you want to make sure you're prepared for. I agree. And that's why uh, we have people like you, some guides, you know, mm -hmm. I know many other guides. And once again, um, some parts of the Catskills like Devil's Path and, uh, you know, the Bushwhacks are very underestimating. Um, you know, like, you know, we talk about Friday and Balsam Cap, you know, 3000 feet in a matter of what is it like uh, one or no, I think it's like 2.5 miles. Yeah, it creeps up on you pretty quick. <laughs> it does. And then if it, you know, if I mean, it's not a bushwhack anymore, but you know, if you take a wrong turn, then you're, you're pretty much screwed on Friday. Well, and you know what has happened with the, the herd paths on those bushwhacks? In, when I first started hiking them, there really weren't herd paths to speak of. They would kind of fade in and out and, you know, you'd catch on to one and then it would kind of disappear. Lately, I, I do see a lot more pronounced herd paths between summits, but I noticed um, they, they don't always go in the right direction. I feel like a lot of them are getting trampled down. A lot of misleading herd paths are getting trampled down and people are following them and kind of getting themselves off course a little bit. So I think it's, a again, lulling them into that false sense of security. Oh, there's a great herd path between the two summits. You really have to pay attention to make sure you're following the right one. I feel like a lot of, especially at the summits, a lot of new herd paths are kind of popping up that are kind of trampling down the vegetation up there. Correct. And uh, that's where the problems have. And that's where, uh, you know, navigation comes in hand. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, um, you know, I, I started hiking only six years ago and uh, there was no herd paths mm -hmm. whatsoever until you got to you know, within a quarter of a mile or even closer to the summits. And like now following up Friday is a piece of cake, rusk piece of cake. I you know, first did my first bushwhack was up rusk and it was, it wasn't a piece of cake. I went a little far left and I, I started hitting some big rocks and hitting some big ledges and, you know, I finally got over it, but I never hit a herd path. Rusk was my first Catskills herd path too. My buddy Ken and my friend Karen took um, my hiking partner, Bobby, and, and me out there. That's a great first bushwhack. But we did the same thing. We didn't follow a herd path. We we couldn't find the herd path. And it was much, it just felt much more overgrown. Yep. You know, we could see it every so often. It would fade in and out, like I said. But uh, yeah, navigation is so important in the Catskills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we we talk on Search and Rescue about, the, you know, the differences all the time between the Adirondacks and the Catskills. And you are correct about the Adirondacks. They're unforgiving because if you get lost in the Adirondacks, uh, you could be 13 miles from the nearest road. Mm -hmm. You follow a river and you're still eight miles from the nearest road or the nearest house. And then you could cliff out so easily. There are so many obstacles that aren't just things you need to work around that you could you know, fall off of and 
break something. You know, that bushwhack, there's a bushwhack from Iroquois Shepherd's Tooth down to Coldbrook Pass. And, uh, you know, if you don't hit just right that space by those those ledges, those cliffs, I hear it, it can be a pretty dangerous situation. You really run into some pretty dangerous obstacles out that way. Yeah, it's uh, once again, New York State is underestimated with its mountains. Absolutely. You know, one thing I've noticed in the Catskills area, um, a lot more people seem to be interested in picking up those map and compass skills. You know, we've, we hear a lot of people complain on the Facebook pages that, you know, the areas are getting so overpopulated and there are a lot of people going out. But I feel like more recently, I don't know if it's more education or maybe it's the Facebook pages. I feel like a lot more people are really trying to pick up those compass and map skills these days. You still have your factions relying on on all trails. Um, you know, and mm. I'm not going to knock it. Listen, it's a tool. You use whatever you have available to you. Just don't rely on one. But I see a lot of people really, really working hard on their navigation skills. I think that's so important. It's nice to see. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, people consider map and compass to be really, really difficult, but you know, it's, it's actually not that hard. No, I, I think it's, it's like a disposable skill. If you don't use it enough, you really have to work through it. Um, I, I've taught a couple navigation classes to, there's a hiking group out there. Um, New York tri-state lady goddess hikers. And it's this really cool Facebook group. It's all women. And they set up these meetups and every once in a while they'll have me lead a navigation hike. And, um, you know, they're all different levels. And a couple of the women have had experience with map and compass. And it's fun to see them come into the, the class, not remembering anything, but then seeing the light bulbs go off that, Oh wait, yes, I do remember this. And, um, It's just one of those skills. I think that it's scary because you don't know if you're good at it until you really need it, but that's not the time you want to know that you're really good at it. (laughs) You know, you want to have confidence in that, but it is something you need to work at. It is easy. Like you said, it's, it's not as hard and it's not as scary as I think a lot of us build it up in our minds, but it is something that you need to take your compass out and look at it once in a while when you're not lost. So that when you are, you're not trying to pull all this information out of thin air again. That is 100% correct. That is spot on. I agree. Um, you, you lose it or lose it or use it or lose it. Use is it that or the term? lose it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's me in search and rescue. I basically just lose it because <laughs> I don't use it. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's comforting. <laughs> Oh, it's more, more of, you know, I am, I'm very good at uh patient assessment and stuff like that, but, but going into like ropes and knots and stuff, knots oh. are tough. You know, I saw that you do the, you do the, you just started getting into that, right? The climbing aspect yep. of it. God bless you. That terrifies me in an, I mean, if for fun, I think it'd be great to do the climbing and stuff, but to add that extra component of having to save somebody's life. We are so lucky people like you exist. So thank you to you and your team. Well, thank you. I, I mean, it's, it's a great skill to learn. Um, there are definitely, I, I got to admit, like several other professional people out there that of course are going to be there before me. I'm never going to take on that task because it's just, it's, it's too big of a risk, but 
um, learning it is absolutely phenomenal. It was, you know, I was, I was on the edge and I was thinking about, you know, like, well, what happens with this? But these guys are absolute professionals and they, you know, everybody thinks about what, what if you fall, there's three different ways they have a, a safety for you to, to not fall and die. So. Well, and that's, that is good. But you know, when you're up there, I don't know. I think I could tell myself that until I'm blue in the face, but it would be a lot harder to believe me. <laughs> I just right, yeah. thinking of that ground rushing at me so quickly. Ugh. Yep, exactly. It's, it's, it's tough to get over, but once you, once you, you do it, um, you feel confident and you're like, man, I want to do that again. Yeah. I want to do that again right now. I didn't, I don't think we had enough time to do all the stuff we wanted to do with repelling and going up and everybody, you know, everybody thinks climbing up is easy. You know, it is extremely difficult. I'd, I'd rather repel than climb up because climbing up is just absolutely insane. Yeah. I, you have to have nerves of steel. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. That's, that's it. Let's get on to our next question. So I've, I'm curious, my, my wife helped me out with this one because I, I love that women are stepping up to the plate and taking on challenges. I, I freaking absolutely love that. Um, so what does it feel like to be a woman business owner? Yeah, I love that too. You know, it's, first of all, being a woman, woman business owner, I think it probably feels the same for me as a woman as it would as a man. So owning a business is probably, you know, it's obviously it's something I'm very proud of, but just seeing so many women out in the backcountry and just crushing it out there is so exciting to me. And it's exciting to see that it's more of a norm now for younger women coming up. I think I grew up in the eighties and I think a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us were taught to be ladylike and, you know, to act a certain way and maybe not get as dirty. And my favorite part about guiding is a lot of women, my age and older have kind of gotten to this point in their lives where they're just ready to get out there and excuse my language, just be a badass. And, you know, they've, they've raised their children. Now maybe their children are having kids, their grandparents, and there's just this push for them. They, they want to try these adventurous things that sometimes can feel a little dangerous to them and really take them out of their comfort zone. And for me, I think that's been one of my favorite things of all guiding is just well, I told you about the navigation classes, getting this group of women together, all different skills. Um, a lot of them are really insecure and really nervous. I had one woman say she wanted to run away. She wanted to get in the car and just take off at the start of the class because she was so insecure about it and lacked so much confidence. But to see them off trail in the middle of nowhere, leading themselves, navigating to this point with just their mapping compass and then seeing them work together and support each other. It all comes back to that support that women have for each other, supporting each other to accomplish this goal is such a thrill for me. And it, it's great because, you know, every class, you know, there's just such joy. There's also, there's sometimes tears and frustration and just seeing them work through that, like they're untangling this cord inside of them and seeing them be successful and the feeling they get from that is so exciting to me. That's, that's definitely the best part I think of guiding. Yeah. See, that's putting a huge smile on my face. I love seeing, um, you know, women out there, like you said, yeah. 
kicking ass and and do do not be afraid to say a swear word on here i don't know if you listened to my last <laughs> podcast within the first five seconds i said a swear I word i did and that was a great one i want to talk about that one too that was good i like that one a lot but yeah you know it's really cool to see the you know women have always i think shine they've always done well in the wilderness i mean you've got your your famous one like grace everybody knows grace she was the consummate badass but I feel like these days we've kind of redefined what a badass looks like. You know, we always have had that image in our minds of, you know, just real strong, tough, stoic kind of person. But, you know, all these women are kind of coming out and they're all different shapes and sizes. They come from all different walks of life and they all have a different set of skills that they bring to the table. And it's really great to see them shine in the outdoors. It's a lot of fun. I agree. I agree. And that, and that brings me to um, my, my next question. What is the, the, I'm trying to think of the word to say the ratio of men to women who hire you as God. Yeah, it's really funny. I, I think it's pretty split. And here's another thing that where, you know, I think a lot of people ask, how is it to be a female hiker? I think that the playing field is really level when it comes to the outdoors. Um, when I first started guiding, I really thought my niche would be women. But just as many men ask us to to take them out and guide them, and I really appreciate that. You know, I like I said, growing up in the '80s, you know, my dad was a great man, but I don't think he would have felt comfortable putting his safety in someone like me to get him to the summit. I think he his pride maybe would have been a little strange. I think he was very old fashioned, so I think that would have been a little hard for him to have this you know, girl, five foot two, come up and say, Oh yeah, I'm going to lead you through the backcountry. Trust me. But it's really been nice for me to see the guys are, are just as willing, you know, and they're just as trusting in our abilities as, as the women are. So it's been pretty split. So I think that's a testament to how far we've come as a society, you know, that women's abilities in the outdoors are recognized as equal to men. Damn straight. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, look at the women I have guiding for me. You don't get more badass than Chelsea, Amanda, and Katie. Let me tell you, those girls are outrageous. Such athletes and just strong, strong women, emotionally and physically. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So um, speaking of like women hiking, my wife and I, when we went up to, to Western Canada and the Canadian Rockies, you know, we did some uh, eight, 9,000 foot peaks and stuff like that. Um, the one thing we saw was way more women to men ratio yeah, up in the Canadian Rockies. And, I mean, I don't know when I, I started hiking in my twenties and I don't feel like as many women, as many girls, my age were out there hiking. Um, I, I don't know. I wish I'd paid closer attention. I don't think I thought too much about it, but um, yeah, I really don't think it's seen as there being much of a divide. In this, I know, you know, women's soccer, women's basketball, you always hear the controversies about, you know, women's athletics, you know, sporting events. But yeah, hiking is, like I said, the great equalizer. I agree. Um, and that's, that is a yeah. great way to say it. I'm glad it's split 50 50. So, I mean, it's great to see men and women choosing a, a woman guide and, you know, men not being afraid to do that or being embarrassed, you know, (laughs) screw that crap. Yeah. I'm glad we've come a long way. I think as a society. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, so to go along with that, um, not, not with the woman and everything. So what with guiding, with you guys being guides, what, what involves being a guide? Like why, why are people hiring you basically? Yeah, that was another thing I learned when I first started guiding. You know, I kind of thought people just wanted you to get them to the summit. But uh, there are so many different reasons. And, uh, you know, of course, people want their goals. You know, they want to get their 46 done. They want to get their 3500s done. Um, I have a, she's actually now a really good friend of mine, Karen. She was a client of mine first. One of the reasons she hired a guide was because she won't mind me saying this. She had made a promise a long time ago to her mom that she would never hike alone. She'd never hike solo. And um, it does kind of go back to the, you know, women in the wilderness. Her mom was uncomfortable because she was old fashioned and she felt like a woman should not be alone in the woods for safety reasons. And, you know, obviously women do have a different set of safety concerns, I think, than, than men often experience, not always, but sometimes. But, um, you know, she had made that promise to her mom. And it's interesting because when I started guiding her, she is perfectly capable in the woods. She's prepared. She's got her map and compass and she knows how to use them. That's that's the trick right there. I think a lot of us have those items. We're not quite sure what to do with them. But she I always kind of felt like, gosh, this woman doesn't need me. She's perfectly capable of being out here on her own. But there was that additional safety factor. You know, and I think when Karen first started hiking, she was a little intimidated and not as confident in her abilities. And just the last year that I've hiked with her, she grew so much as a hiker and such a strong hiker. But, you know, so there's that safety element. I love to hike solo. I loved your episode last week. But there are a different set of concerns when you're hiking solo. It can happen to anybody. You know, you trip and fall. And you could have the best GPS in the world, but if you can't push that button, you've got a problem. So a lot of people like to have, you know, a friend with them, somebody to take them. A lot of people just want to learn more about what's going on out there. They want to learn more about Leave No Trace. They love, they love the outdoors. They love the Catskills, the Adirondacks. They want to know how to protect them, how to take care of them. So yeah, people hire us for all sorts of different reasons. And that kind of keeps the job fun. Definitely. And, uh, you know, another thing I've, I've thought of about, about guiding, um, is, is people would like a companion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back, I know I keep going back to this, but I'm just so proud of these women. Um, a lot of women in the, getting into their fifties, sixties, who have kind of found this new adventurous, they're not, not found. It's always been there, but they want to express this more adventurous side of themselves. Their friends that they've known for decades, maybe aren't quite there yet. So it's more difficult for them to find hiking partners in their demographic and the people that maybe they work with. So a lot of times, you know, they, they seek out a guide because it's harder for them to find someone to hike with. Exactly. Um, I agree. And, you know, I've had some, some friends and some people who would like to, uh, you know, just have me alongside and mm-hmm. just to, to, just to talk. And that's, and that's great. You know, I, I, I totally support that. I mean, I'm a, as you, you heard from my last podcast, I'm a solo guy. I, I love hiking solo. It's just, it's just what I do. And, you know, people, people don't want to hike solo and that's, that's great. You know, have a companion there, hire a guide and the guide will assist you in anything that you need because they mm-hmm. are certified for that. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we are fully licensed. And I think, actually, I'm glad you said that. I think it's important to check with your guide and just check on their licensing. It is it is illegal to guide for compensation if you are not a licensed guide. We, we do take a test. We're licensed. We have wilderness first aid training. Water safety, believe it or not, is important when you're in the backcountry. I know we're not going to go swimming, but there are issues like stream crossings and stuff like that. But um, I think knowing your limitations and knowing what you're comfortable with is so important. And I think if a person doesn't feel comfortable hiking solo, then it's a really wise idea to hire a guide or find a friend or join a meetup group. You don't have to hire a guide. There are plenty of people out there who will hike with you. But um, it's important to listen to yourself and trust your instincts. There's a reason you're not comfortable out there. And it doesn't mean you're going to be uncomfortable forever. But if, if you are, that's okay. It's okay to have a support system out there. You know, you're still every bit of a badass if you are walking with someone than if you're walking alone. Exactly. You know, you might have, to be honest, you might have the same skills as that person you are helping, uh-huh. you know, that it's helping you guide. But you know what? To have a friend, to have a person that will assist you if something goes wrong is great to have. I got to admit. 100%. Yeah. And it, it is, I've, I've learned that too. A lot of the people I guide they're like I said, they're every bit as capable as I am and as our guides are. And it's really neat to see their skill set and what they bring to the table. It's, it's great. Indeed. And also hiking with other people, you know, I, I know you hike solo a lot, but how quickly you get close to your hiking partners. There is something about being outside and, and, you know, puzzling through obstacles that brings you so close to your hiking companions so much faster than if you went to the craft fair for the day or you know did something else I don't know if it's exercise or if it's just being outdoors you really wind up developing those bonds with people so much more quickly agree definitely you know you're out there alone together so you basically have to have a conversation and then you get to know them almost instantly better than you know than any a lot of other people do yeah yeah it's awesome all right so um what about uh any memorable most memorable guides so far Ooh, most memorable guides so far uh well i already talked i could talk all day about my navigation hikes i'll tell you they are just such a joy to hike with just to see them work together the way that they do those are pretty memorable um i do have a person, you know, when I said badasses come in all shapes and sizes, I have a, a woman I hike. Her name is Saria Bakri. She's actually a published author. She's written a, quite a number of books on resilience and resiliency. And uh, she's such a cool person. And her the hikes I have with her are always very memorable to me because of everything she's overcome. She's actually on our last hike, she announced to me that her Um, lungs at work at like a 65% capacity or something like that. She suffered with asthma her entire life. And, um, you know, when we hike, we hike at a slower pace and it's just really great to see her working through her insecurities, her health issues. You know, she's a single mom. She works really hard and just every hike we have, she kind of seems to take it to this next level. And I feel like hers are are pretty memorable to me just in general overall, but I feel like I've had a lot of memorable hikes. There's been my clients. I have the best clients out there. They're really a lot of fun people to hike with. 
Yeah, I gotta I gotta admit, you know, seeing somebody succeed is always the best. It is. I think that might be the teacher in me too. I think doing that for a living for the past 25 years and just working with children and helping them kind of accomplish their goals, it's amazing the crossover between teaching and guiding. My guide, Chelsea, actually just wrote about it on Facebook, how it's so much more than just taking somebody to a summit. There's so much more involved than that. You know, anybody can walk through the woods. You can follow anybody through the woods to the summit, but just, I don't know, helping people overcome their fears. And sometimes you're a psychologist out there too. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And nature is so healing. My favorite episode you've done so far is with Bhakti. Um, and she's got climb, heal, overcome. I thought that was such a fantastic episode, but she's hit on such an, an important aspect and bringing, you know, hiking to people who have experienced domestic abuse and sexual trauma. There's just something so healing about the woods. I definitely agree. And then I got a bit, I had a, a great time with her and I was, uh, it sounded, my, my recording sounded like crap because I was up in the Finger Lakes, but listening to her and, you know, those emotions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, you know, times that, that people are in need because of those horrible situations and they don't realize what's out there for the, for them in, in nature. Right. And just overcoming your fears and how she was talking. I mean, I think we all have experienced trauma in some, and on some level in our past, we're all trying to kind of work through something, but just how she kind of touched on how safety is such a concern for people who've experienced those things and putting them in a relatively unsafe situation. I mean, anytime you're outside outdoors in nature, there are variables that are out of your control and to overcome those has to be so empowering for them. And I just think it's really great that she's offering, providing that service to that group of people. I think it's fantastic. That's why I had her on here is because I I just thought that was absolutely phenomenal what she's doing. Yeah, she's cool. Very cool. Same thing with you guys. Um, it's it's awesome what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So also, when you're you got memorable hikes, but have you run into any really sketchy situations? You know, sometimes the Adirondacks are unforgiving with the weather. Same thing with the Catskills; that they're underestimating. Um, any sketchy sketchy situations that you've run into while guiding, or even while you're on your regular hikes? I have. I've had a few situations that you know. <sighs> like I said, those variables that you can't always control. Um, my friend Mark's finish, uh, Mark Tedford finished on Mount Marcy in the winter. His first round of the 46 was done during winter. Talk about hardcore. He is something yeah. else. He's actually a guide too. Mark is a guide also, but, um, you know, we went out to have his finish on Mount Marcy and we checked the weather. We were really good about keeping up on that. And we had a storm blow in that took everybody by surprise. And by the time we got to the summit, we had no visibility, very little visibility. I should say high winds, it was snowing. And it was one of those situations where, you know, the only way out is through. And that was a little scary. And it kind of goes to show that no matter how well prepared you are, anything can happen. And, you know, we got off the mountain. It, it was, it was pretty scary. Fortunately, we had We had our Garmin with us and we used that to kind of lead us in the right direction. It was so windy up there. Taking out a compass would have been tricky, would have been tough, but you know, we, we would have been able to, to do that. Fortunately, we did have the Garmin and it kind of led us off the summit 
very nicely, but it was scary to look back and just in retrospect, how that just kind of came upon us. And it was gone as quickly as it happened. It just kind of popped up from out of nowhere. And I think it goes to show that any amount of preparation you do, you have to be prepared for anything. I agree. You know, we thought we were, we really, you know, we were, we were checking the weather in winter. You do you check obsessively. We have multiple weather sites. We all check and we all do it, but yeah, it was a little scary. And another situation in the Catskills, actually, you know, they say people are the scariest thing out in the woods. And I tend to agree with that. It, it turned out fine. He was actually a pretty nice kid, but I was coming down from Thomas Cole and I was on this really steep section. And as I was coming down, there was this young man at the bottom in just a pair of pants and nothing else, no shirt. No, I don't know where his shirt was. And it was kind mm. of a cold day. And he was just having a complete meltdown, like pulling his hair and screaming. And uh, that was kind of, that was probably one of my scariest moments in the woods because it's unexpected. You don't expect to come down a section and see that happening. And then when you do, you kind of wonder, okay, now what do I do? I couldn't really turn around and walk away without being seen. And here he is having this little episode. So I just kind of tried to use my best teacher voice and say, Hey, what's the problem? And it kind of shocked him. And, uh, you know, he's, he was near tears. The poor guy, I didn't know if he was maybe on drugs or something going on with him, but it turns out he was just completely unprepared. And he bit off way more than he could chew. He pulled into a trailhead and thought, I want to hike this. And he started up. He didn't have any water, any food. He was five miles in, had no idea where he was. So um, I think his meltdown was actually mostly blood sugar related because I pulled out my snack bag and his entire demeanor changed. So I gave him some granola bars. I think I gave him an apple and some Gatorade. And he was like a new person. So I was able to take out my map and show him where to go and, you know, kind of set him straight. He wanted to continue on. I tried to talk him out of it. I tried to get him to kind of walk out with me, but he was insistent. So I did meet a couple hikers on their way up and I asked them to check on him. So I think by the time I left him, he was good to go. I sent him on his way with some extra snacks, but that was a scary moment for a couple minutes. But that's really about the only time I've ever had anything like that happen. So, so basically he was hallucinating for, from lack of water and food. I don't know if he was hallucinating. I think he just had a tantrum. You know how, I mean, listen, I can relate. I get hungry and you better watch out. You better <laughs> give me a granola bar or a Snickers bar. I think he was just so upset because he didn't know where he was. And then, you know, add to that, the fact that he was probably starving and very thirsty and it was just the perfect storm of anxiety and you know, anger at himself, I'm sure. And you know, he was really embarrassed. He didn't expect anybody to catch him having his little meltdown, but you know, it just, again, preparation is, that's the difference between a good day and a bad day in the woods. I agree. Definitely. Definitely. That's uh, some crazy stuff right there. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people do that. I, I feel like we see that a lot in the Catskills, people just showing up at the trailhead yep. and saying, yeah, it's a nice day for a walk. Oh Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead over to the giant ledge and, and see who, who shows up. I know it is. And, you know, the preparation, I think when people start doing more preparation, they find that's the best part. It really, you get so much more out of the hike and it's a lot of fun to sit down and plan your route and prepare your trip and think about all the fun stuff that you've got ahead of you. And 
you know, when you, you complete the hike and you were successful, there's no other feeling like it. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. I've only, I've only been in like, you know, one or two sketchy situations. Um, one of the, when I was hiking up Wittenberg one time, um, guy, uh, was hiking up that steep section with the roots, uh, right before there was an area and the guy turned around and he actually misplaced his foot and he fell and hit his head on the rock. So I ran up and I, I of course helped him. He, I think he was being guided. So we, we, we put some, you know, um, some wrap around him, gauze pad and some wrap. And, uh, I saw him later at the summit. So he summited, but that was a, that was a definitely a, a, a weird situation, especially when he was looking down at me and turned because of me and then he <laughs> fell. Oh, yeah. So I felt responsible. That takes some weeks off your life. Yeah. But it was, it was, it all turned out good. And I've, I've never, never found myself in a, I found one situation I found myself where I might need a rescue. But uh, other than that, everything else was be fine. <laughs> yeah. It is. It, like I said, it can happen to anybody, you know. I think a lot of times when the search and rescue reports or the DEC reports come out, people take a lot of criticism and and some of them deserve it. You know, there are certain situations where they just had no right being on the hike that they were on. But then you've got these other poor people who, you know, twist a knee, twist an ankle, slip and bump their head. Those things happen so quickly. And a lot of them are just really hard to avoid. Agreed. I mean, it's, it's it's a simple bad luck situation. Yeah. Yeah. So also, um, so any, any future plans for the business, uh, any thoughts of expanding or, or just keeping it simple like it is right now? Well, I always say I want to keep it simple. <laughs> and then that's, that's actually the kiss of death. The minute I say, okay, I need to tap the brakes and just kind of stay where we are for a little while and, and get a breather. Some other opportunity comes up. So yeah, I think the future, I definitely see us continuing to help people achieve their goals, obviously, but a lot more um, wilderness training classes, a lot more navigation classes. I know Katie wants to do some winter skills courses, which I think are going to be really popular. I think they're really necessary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a, a need for that and a desire for that. And um, actually, I'm really excited. I I think it's okay that I mentioned this. I teamed up. I'm hoping to team up with my friend, Chad Simpson. We have a wilderness first aid training tentatively on the calendar. So um, I can't officially announce the dates yet. We're in the planning process, but we will be announcing that class soon. It is a wilderness first aid certification course. And uh, Chad Simpson is trained to give that course and we're going to team up and He's going to team up with the scenic route and we'll start offering some of those classes. So I'm really excited to do that. I think anybody who spends any amount of time in the woods really should have that training um, above and beyond first aid and CPR, because there are a lot of injuries that can happen and do happen in the woods that, you know, those courses will really, you know, give you some, some good knowledge of how to, how to address and how to treat. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. That's, that's a great thing. I can't wait to uh, announce it. I'll, sh- I'll share that on my page with my low amount of followers. <laughs> that, no, you know what? I think there's a lot of buzz about your show. I just got into podcasts Same here. like maybe the last couple of years. And um, I searched everywhere for a Catskills podcast and the, I didn't find any. So I I'm excited that you're doing this. I think it's such a good 
topic. We need one. The cat skills are awesome. It's great that you're out there chatting about them. Well, thank you. I, I know there's one other one, but it's a really weird one. It's a it's an older guy and his, his conversations. I've, I've listened to like two and I can't I can't get into it because this, the conversations aren't fun. And gotcha. they're kind of weird and and uh, like almost like alien stuff. It's just really odd. Ooh, all right. Getting a little weird, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So uh, <laughs> it's it's just I'm, I'm I've you know, if, if you're looking for a podcast, check out uh, Sounds Like a Search and Rescue. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be good. They're from from New Hampshire. They inspired me. They're the ones that inspired me to to do this. And they are phenomenal. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've been to New Hampshire. I've hiked to New Hampshire and I'm not familiar as much as they are, but they make stuff so interesting. I think is the guy who does that, is his name Mike? Yep. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and the other guy, I gotta, I, I gotta learn his name. His, his name's Stomp, but, um, He's a uh, Pemi Gossett uh, search and rescue guy, and he is involved in so much search and rescue. I got to get, I want to interview him, even though he has nothing to do with the cat skills. I got to interview him because New Hampshire is absolutely insane with their search and rescues. It is. I, all you search and rescue, you have amazing stories. You have to have some crazy stories, but I know I follow a lot of the New Hampshire pages. New Hampshire hiking is amazing, but uh, I follow a lot of those pages and the stories that you hear that's got to be a pretty interesting podcast yeah it, it definitely is check it out um they are phenomenal and fun and they they go above and beyond and just they're they're normal guys they're cool guys just like me so he uh mike and uh stomp helped me out starting this up and i i thank them for everything oh that's awesome yeah i'll definitely give that a listen yeah so also um so what's your favorite hike in the catskills oh Wyndham. I love Wyndham. Nice. Everybody says Wyndham, but that hike is magic. If there, I know you don't want to get weird. This is not the format for your show, but if, if there's magic, if there's spirits, if there's anything out there like that, it's in Wyndham, Wyndham High Peak. That whole section where, you know, you go through the hardwood forest and then you hit that section of conifers. Um, I think they're the spruce, those huge trees and the roots, it gets so dark and dismal and spooky. And then you just come out of it. I love that section of woods. It's a hell of a section. I got to admit. Yeah, it is just, there's just something different about that hike that just appeals to me. And then Wittenberg, of course, has that gorgeous view. I love Wittenberg. I love the devil's path. It's hard to pick just one. Yeah. Yeah. The blackheads. Wyndham is, is definitely a, an odd one. That, that's great. That's it to hear. Yeah, I like I call that section the spooky dooky forest and I love it. Anytime I'm really just need to reset my head and just get right, I take off to Wyndham for my solo hike. And that just does the trick. It does. It's a very uh actually my my wife, we're not going there tomorrow, but we're gonna do a sunset hike on Bird Knob tomorrow. Oh, nice. Yeah, the escarpment. Yeah. That's a fantastic trail too. Now, see, I it's so hard for me to pick a favorite. You know what my favorite hike is? The last one I did. That's my favorite hike. What was that? Every time. It's any anyone. Oh. Always the last one. <laughs> That's <Nice>. the one. <laughs> so yeah. You know it's crazy. My favorite uh is uh Friday. Oh, really? Yep. I've gone I've gone up I don't know how many times I've gone up there. It's been at least ten to fifteen times I've gone up there just because I love it. 
I, I do like Friday. Sometimes Friday, the canister is hard for me to find if I approach from the dink. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a fun, that's a fun push. Yeah, it is. We've been out there a couple of times and I, it's so weird that bushwhack it, I love it, but it makes me want to scream at the same time. It's such a funny dichotomy being out in that section. Yeah. It's uh if you ever uh, get the chance to bushwhack the Moonhaw from going up to, to Cornell and to Wittenberg, um, that is some fun shit. Yeah. We almost did that last winter, but then oh, man. we had a, we had a minor catastrophe. My, my besties, Michelle and Joe, Michelle pushed him right into the water, pushed that <laughs> poor man, that poor man pushed him in the water, held him under. So we no, that's not really how it happened. I think if you talk to him, <laughs> it happened. It was his own stupidity, but it was worth it. So we actually cut the hike. We don't cut the hike short. We only did um, Friday and Balsam Cap that day, but it was still fun. Yeah, if you ever get the chance to uh, take the Moonhaw and hike up Cornell and Wittenberg on one of the arms, and it's uh, one of those hikes that you'll never forget, and it, and it reminds you of the remote areas and how like unexpected shit can happen that i love that i love that feeling of just not just being out there and knowing that you're so secluded you are so far from civilization that's such a great feeling scary but good exactly exactly i can't wait to uh take my wife on these in these awesome bushwhacks and show her like this is what i dig this is what i do I want to do that, but my husband will divorce me. He loves to hike, <laughs> but we have a different, we have differing opinions on like what a flat hike is. You know, my definition of flat hike and his are completely different. And every time I'm on a bushwhack, I think, oh, I really love to get him out here. But I think he would, I mean, if he could get out of the bushwhack on his own, he'd probably strangle me and leave me out there. I don't think he'd enjoy it too much. But uh, <laughs> nice. he does love the woods, but I think he'd rather have a trail. But one day I think I'd like to get him out bushwhacking just so he can see. Damn straight. This is what we love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is our our last question and this is the biggest question of all. Mm-hmm. Mountain lions, have you ever encountered any in your your guiding or your hikes? Never. I never have. I am like David DeCompany in the X-Files. I want to believe. I really do. I want to believe. Part of me wants to see one, but then of course, you know, I know that's stupid because, you know, of course I don't want to really see a mountain lion, but I really would love to see one. But yeah, I don't know. But I think that that's actually the topic that we became friends over Facebook. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh, it's. Can I tell them that story, what you did? Of course. Oh my gosh, this is the best. I laughed so hard. This is when I knew you were a character, somebody I, I needed to know. Um, do you remember? Okay, so I tagged you in on a post about a mountain lion sighting in the city where I teach, in the city where I teach. Right. Very important. So clearly it's not a mountain lion. I really, I think that they saw bobcats, maybe with their summer coat. And uh, that's what makes it so hard for me to believe in the existence of mountain lions, because everybody has an aunt or an uncle who has captured a mountain lion on their trail cam. They show the pictures and it's either a bobcat or it's actually a trail cam photo from Idaho or someplace like that. (laughs) Or it's been seen in Florida and it's been used in Nebraska and it's made its rounds. And now suddenly it's, you know, Cambridge, New York. But um, so 
somebody saw two bobcats or two mountain lions in their garbage in the city. And it became this big event. You know, people were afraid to go outside. So I text, I tagged you into that just so you could see. And ultimately you wound up (laughs) setting up an interview with a reporter who wanted to talk to you about your mountain lion sighting and your mountain lion encounter that you had and that you actually had photographs of and uh <laughs> turned out <laughs> a photo of you in a fire tower with the mountain lion sitting behind you and it was amazing because this poor person you know you screenshot me this this conversation you have with this reporter so excited going to see a picture of this mountain lion encounter and there's there's stash <laughs> with this big grin on his face and a little mountain lion, like sitting behind his shoulder. That was like the end of the conversation. Oh yeah. He, he, he was uh, <laughs> super pissed about that. And I, I loved it. And I use that, that photo every time. And I don't know if people you had him on the hooks. Yeah. I don't know if people believe it or not. And you know, I've, I've gotten into so many conversations about this. One of my friends, my best friend's father-in-law was a DEC officer and he said oh yeah they exist and i'm just like show me a trail cam we have thousands and thousands of trail cams in new york state not one in in the northeast let alone mm-hmm. and everyone i you know you could trace back to a another one that's been sighting maybe down in you know uh like nashville tennessee or like you said wyoming mount or montana stuff like that right And then I'm just like, I see, you know, I recently, the funny thing is, is today or yesterday, I looked on my, my memories in Facebook and it had that one guy who had the encounter with the the mountain lion where it like pounced at him. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Where he was like saying like, oh, fuck off, leave me alone. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. That was scary. Yeah. And like, I'm just like, yeah, that that's an encounter. I'm like, we have people up here. It's like, yeah, I saw one. Here's a print. I'm like, well, where's the other 25,000 prints with it walking through the snow. And they're just like, oh, I only got this print. Mm. I'm like, okay. I know. That's what makes it so hard. Like I said, I want to believe. And I change my mind every time I talk to someone new. I talk to Dave, who owns T Max and Tapos. And I ask everybody, what do you think? And, and he actually said he did not believe it. And this is a man who has spent countless hours in the woods, you know, and his point was, where are their car, where are the carcasses? You know, you don't see dead mountain lions while you're out there. And, you know, we have a pretty healthy coyote population and they tend to drag, you know, carcasses and animals all over the place. But um, also, you know, you'd see evidence in the treetops, right? Because that's kind of where they stash their, their kills. But then I'll talk to another friend. I went hiking with a friend of mine, over the weekend and he said his mom has seen them and he grew up in a hunting family and pretty level-headed people so i don't know i go back and forth i don't think they're roaming the city and getting into people's garbage cans though you will never convince me of that right right you know i just i just find it hilarious you know that there are thousands and thousands of trail cams out there and not one could get a clear beautiful picture like they do with bears deers turkeys coyotes and stuff like that that's a pretty good point. you know there could there could be one or two out there but i mean it's it's they're 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 basically you know big cats and they they they're very very stealthy and you know um but i just can't you know somebody's just like like yeah i saw this print 
out here. What is it? And I'm like, where's the other prints? And there's like, yeah, I only saw this one. And I'm just like, come on. I know there's too much of that to really convince me. And you know, I do see a lot of people online saying, oh, my uncle has a trail cam photo, but they can never produce it. There are so many people who say, well, let me put it this way. I don't think there are as many sightings as there are claims of sightings. There you go. Does that make sense? Yep. So I don't know, but I'd be really interested in seeing you put together a show with actual experts, not people like me who just, you know, like to talk about it too much. That's a phenomenal (laughs) idea. I'm going to write that down. That's going to level you up. That's going to take you to the next level of podcasting. I think also, I think you need to work on that sponsorship, that spokespersonship for a leatherman, the multi-tools last week, your episode talking about the multi-tool. Oh God. Yeah. You were, (laughs) I was laughing because that was the most part. You're like, multi-tools are used for cutting. And I laugh because <laughs> who out there do, okay, you know what? Here's another podcast. I want you to find someone who actually knows what all those pieces are for, for their multi-tool. All like 6,047 little attachments that come out of that multi-tool. I want somebody on your show to explain each and every one of them. Because you know what I use them for? Cutting up blocks of cheese. That's what they are used for. Yeah. What else? What else are they used for? There, I know there's stuff, but some of them make sense. But some of these things, you just pull them off and you think, what on earth is this for? Right. I need a trainer. I have a friend who uh, is a hunter. So maybe that is, uh, I have him coming on here. So maybe that's a question I will ask. I'm like, what is your purpose of a multi-tool? What do you use the hook for? What do you use <laughs> the scissors for? Stuff like that. Like scissors, that, I guess that makes sense. But other than cutting up blocks of cheese. What can I do with my leather man? Mm, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The screw, the corkscrew. I'm like, what the hell are you, yeah. you popping some wine in the middle of a, you know, a bushwhack? Yeah, maybe if you're celebrating, but. <laughs> yes. I love my leather man. I just wish I knew what to do with all of those things. Seems like a lot of stuff. Most likely the the use of the multi-tool will be kill a mountain lion. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That's it. There's got to be a mountain lion protection attachment. Yeah, that's the corkscrew to go in its eye. <laughs> oh, poor thing. Oh, so that's <laughs> oh yeah. It's people like you. That's why the DEC doesn't want to let us know that they're releasing mountain lions to control the deer population because there are lunatics in the woods with their multi tools <laughs> chasing down those poor creatures. Damn straight. I got and all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, you ain't going to kill my family. Famous last words. Yep, exactly. Well, well, excellent. Uh, so I, I think that concludes our, our podcast. I think that's all the, the questions I have. Do you have anything? No, I just thank you so much for chatting with me. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciated it. I love what you're doing. I told you it's it's easy and it's a conversation, you know, that probably we would have on the trail or something. Absolutely. And we have to get out there for sure. We'll, we'll go look for mountain lions. Oh, I don't know the places. <laughs> <laughs> Pika moose or something like that. That'll that'll be the place. But um, yeah, I I thank you for for chatting with me and for taking your time uh, out of. It took like an hour and a half out of out of your your busy schedule to come out to go wherever you need to and to chat with me. And I thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, so have a have a good night, Sarah. Um, 
quick thank our sponsors right now. Supposed sponsors, uh, OER, Outdoor Equipment Rentals, uh, my friend Brad. He hasn't gotten back to me, but I've seen him multiple times. He doesn't say anything. So <laughs> apparently he doesn't want to sponsor me or he doesn't want to give like, I told him like $5 a month. I'm like, geez, that's nothing. What's his name? Brad? Come on, Brad. Exactly. Right. Got to get out there. <laughs> yeah. I'd also like to thank Katrina Wearig for donating to uh, um, the podcast on, on Anchor. It was really cool to see that. It was very, very crazy. And uh, do you have any shout outs, Sarah, you want to give? Yeah, I'll definitely. Well, again, I just want to thank my guides for being so awesome. Chelsea, Amanda, and Katie, um, and Sean Ainucci, Blue Line Outdoor Outdoor Adventures. He's really been awful helpful to us. And um, just hi to my husband and my kids and my mom. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I'd uh, like to give shout outs to uh, the year is coming to an end for volunteering. So give a shout out to definitely the volunteers uh, all throughout the state and through, you know, the United States, they have been a big help with this surge and, and hiking and exploring the outdoors. So uh, any volunteers out there, especially the ones in the Catskills that, that has helped out Lords Sonera with the Catskill 3500 club. Thank you for everything you have done. Yeah, that club, actually the 3500 club, those people are so amazing. The work they do to just, you know, be stewards of the mountains and conservation. We are so lucky to have that organization heading all those, spearheading all those initiatives. Definitely. They are stepping in the right direction and they are taking charge, which is, is mm-hmm. awesome. And I was glad to be a part of that. But uh, but yeah, that that concludes our, our session. Uh, Sarah, thank you for joining us and everybody check out Scenic Route Guiding. Um, amazing stuff they're doing. Um, and uh, Thanks for listening to our episode number seven. Uh, Sarah, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Lucky number seven. Have a good night. You too. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.